Welcome back to another episode of The Jacob Johnston Show. Now, I have received uh, some emails uh, providing some critiques. And what's interesting is that the critiques are not about the content or the information. It's about the presentation. Now, look, I know, you know, there's a lot of people out there that will provide you professionally done intro music and all of that. But, you know, I don't think of, of uh, podcasting the same as radio or the same as television. Heck, I don't even think of YouTube the same as television, which means I don't go for all of the extra fluff, you know, of, you know, production, you know, that doesn't even add value to the show, but is just filler, you know, in order to extend the length of the show. All right. So if your critique about, you know, the YouTube videos or the podcast is and the whole, I don't provide enough filler, you know, um, professionally done filler stuff like intro music and transition effects. Okay. It, it, you're missing the point here. You come to the podcast in order to get the information that you are looking for. For instance, just before I came on and uh, to start the recording of this particular show, I came across an article here, and it was talking about how well America was doing uh, with social distancing, or more to the point, how well we're not doing with social distancing. And they were talking about how they were being able to track, you know, how well social distancing was working by cell phone GPS data, right? Where they were showing that based off of, you know, data, you know, now compared to what was available you know, before all the lockdowns and everything that, you know, while there has been some progress made and there has been, you know, less movement, uh, there isn't enough or enough social distancing in order to be able to get the effects that we want. Now, this is outrageous to me. It is. Why? Because it just shows that the government is able to track us. You know, they you know, going through with the government between the cell phone carriers that they're able to get a hold of the data and basically spy on us, you know, where we're going, when we're going, how close we are to each other. Now, this is outrageous. You know, I I understand that, you know, the phones have GPS and, you know, the GPS does have legitimate functions to it, such as using Google Maps, you know, for directions in order to get somewhere if you don't know uh, where it is you're going per se because you've never been there and you haven't been in that particular area. I get that. I get the benefits of having GPS in order for you know medical and police to be able to find you when you dial 911. But them going through and just tracking your data. Now, there's a difference between the cell phone tracking your data and the government being able to get their hands on that data. You know, for instance, I understand that, you know, if you're traveling in a particular area and you filled out, you know, your stuff on Google, let's say you've gone through and you've been a super user and, you know, you're traveling and all of a sudden it pops up on the phone, you know, restaurants nearby because, you know, we do provide a lot of data to our phone carriers and social media in order to get convenient, relevant stuff, you know, to us. It's how the ads work. 
right? You look up stuff, they track what you're looking up, and they provide you ads for the stuff that you're interested in, which is good because it means as a guy, I'm not getting ads displaying tampons, right? So there is, you know, a good benefit to that and being able to have it pop up, you know, stores nearby, you know, if it thinks you're out and about trying to figure out where to eat and all that, there's a lot of conveniences that come with that. But the fact that they're now using it in order to monitor how well we are practicing social distancing, that is going too far here. That is just over the top. Now you're starting to go from tracking data in order to provide me convenience and, and moved it over to tracking data in order to spy on me for the government. And that is going too far. And now we have to go through and rethink this whole COVID-19. Because as time goes on, we are getting more and more data. You know, it's great that during these 15 days that we've been able to find what looks like not necessarily a cure, but medication that basically puts the uh, death rate down to zero. It's just a matter of having enough medication uh, in supply here, right? And no, it's not the fishbowl cleaner, right? That still gets on me about the media, you know, going off saying, oh, Trump's recommendation will kill you. No, you didn't take Trump's recommendation. You took a poisonous fishbowl cleaner that just had a substance with a similar sounding name. But in any event, you know, as more data is coming out and we're starting to see that maybe, just maybe, this is overblown because we're now getting more testing. See, the whole problem with all of this has been the lack of testing. And so they've been able to come out and go, maybe the infection rate isn't as much as we thought because, you know, testing and, you know, the death rates have all been about people whose symptoms were severe enough that they were going to the hospital and, you know, such. And I get that. You know, it's always kind of hard to balance out you know, what to do when you don't have enough data and what little data you do have seems like, holy crap. But if this was a major freak out, you know, or overblown freak out by, you know, President Trump and the media, it was a global overreaction, right? And so, you know, we're still getting the data. It's still not conclusive enough to, you know, really, you know, figure out what the true death rate and the true, you know, risk is. but at least, at least, we are now at a situation where if you do get sick, your survival rate is pretty high. You know, so now that we're starting to get that information and we're starting to see that the government, you know, is, uh, you know, in working with cell phone carriers is now spying on us and tracking our movements, this is a bridge too far. You know, now we start having to think about the whole issue of give me liberty, give me death. You know, give me liberty or give me death, right? And we got to start thinking about that. Now, I get it during times of national emergency and crises that the government has more expanded power, you know, in their role to provide for the security and defense of the country. And we all understand that, you know, that's actually constitutional. But we got to start wondering, when is a bridge too far? You know, when is a bridge too far where they start tracking uh, our movements via cell phones to see if we are getting too close to people. And the reason why this is becoming such a big issue is because now there are certain areas in which, you know, uh, mayors 
are coming out, uh, our governors, uh, actually coming out and the state legislatures coming out, uh, now trying to say that for the time being, if you gather, uh, in groups of more than X, you know, and it's different depending on where you are, that that's now a crime, you know, and that you will now be arrested. So now, you know, if you go outside, you know, and you forget to practice the social distancing and let's say, there's 11 people in the group and you know, the cell phone carriers go, Oh, there's 11 people here and they're too close to each other. Government, here's their, you know, name and information. They broke the law, you know, and now being able to go through and have them come down and arrest you a little bit. Now we're not quite at the point where the cell phone carriers are providing tracking information for the purposes of law enforcement, but we're seeing that we are heading in that direction. And now this is starting to go a little too far. I'm more than happy, you know, and I say this, I'm, I'll drop my pen here and no, I'm not editing that out. Okay. You get the fourth wall broken down here where you get the mistakes, the errors and the, you know, stutters from time to time and a little bit of noise from the pin dropping. But now we are going, uh, anyways, too far here, you know, and you know, the government overreach in tracking, you know, um, you know, and the ability to track, you know, cell phones and using that to monitor how well we are complying with the government. You know, we got to start thinking, especially as more and more data comes out. Now, I've been happy to say that I'm willing to give 15 days in order to gather up the information to assess the true risk of COVID-19, the Wuhan coronavirus and to give them time to ramp up manufacturing and find, you know, medicines and vaccines and cures that will solve the problem here. And it looks like during those 15 days, we've accomplished most of that. You know, we got a much better idea of how severe COVID-19 is. We got our manufacturing ramping up. We found the medicine that will bring the death rates down to next to nothing. We got the vaccines going. We got new innovations and in medicines uh, that will actually benefit us for years to come. All right. The 15 days, you know, been a success, but now we got to start taking a look at this as, you know, when is enough enough, you know, and when, you know, are we starting to get to the territory of the government overreaching its power, going a bridge too far, right? So we got to start thinking of that. And plus, you know, while I've been saying, yes, we can weather 15 days, we can't weather two or three months like this, right? So we got to do the risk here that the longer the shutdown, you know, goes on, the less we're able to financially handle that the shutdown, you know, two weeks, fine, we can recover. Two months, now we have a problem, right? Now, there are other things uh, that are going on, you know, and, you know, I'm trying to avoid direct relation to COVID-19 because everyone is sick of that, but everything is related to COVID-19 in one way or another, you know, including, you know, politics, what politicians are doing, you know, how the, you know, election is going for 2020, all of it. So anyways, uh, LA mayor, uh, Gersetti says Resid residents will be confined to home for at least two months. 
Okay, okay. So this is an issue where Trump is only going so far, and then the Democrats are looking at that going, okay, we're going to go even further, right? And we're going off and we're saying, hey, you know, we were only saying 15 days. Here's the medicines that we have found. Here's what we have been able to do. All right, we brought down the risk level, and you're coming out and preemptively saying it's going to be at least two months. Two months? Don't you think that's a little extreme? And, you know, do you really think the businesses in your particular city, you know, LA, is going to be able to last two months of shutdown and everybody staying at home? Now, there's being, you know, cautious and going through and assessing a new risk. And then there is overkill, right? No one has ever been going out there and saying, we support doing this for two or three months. We've just been out there saying, hey, we can handle 15 days of this. But two months, you're going out there even with all the innovations and all the things that we have discovered and found out, and you're out there already saying, this is going to go on for two whole months in L.A.? You already got a homeless problem. You know, you, you should be out there assessing the risk, you know, day by day, week by week. There is no circumstance in which you should be coming out and going, okay, we know that this is going to last this many months. Well, what if it doesn't? What if we, you know, find the cure, you know, uh, a complete cure, you know, or we ramp up manufacturing of the medication that has brought the death rate down to zero and um, various trials uh, that have been done now, including over 300 and some people, you know, and we're able to ramp up manufacturing and therefore, you know, now there's next to no deaths associated with COVID-19 and you still got another month before your stay at home. I mean, are you going to come back then and at least release them early? I mean, what's what's the point of coming out here and preemptively telling people that it's going to last longer than what it appears by all the available data than what it needs to last. And so we got to start balancing out here, you know, not only as the data comes in, how much risk this actually poses, but we have to start questioning how much government action are we willing to accept, you know, for this. Now, going on here, uh, because it's hard to really judge. You know, we got a lot of data that is coming in. So we'll see where it goes. Right now, I'm willing to accept quite a bit until we get all the data that we need. Now, as we had stated here, uh, that the left is now going out there trying to say, hey, 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 we need to stop airing the daily presidential briefs on COVID-19. And a large part of that has been because seeing Trump up at the podium with a team of experts giving daily briefings, showing that he is a leader, that he's level-headed, going through and showing that, hey, you know, he put your safety above the economy and above personal finances, even above his own finances, you know, and people are looking at his actions and his approval rating. His approval ratings are up. I mean, his approval ratings right now are higher than what Obama's approval ratings were at the same point. But, you know, that's not really new. Trump's approval ratings have been higher than Obama's approval ratings at the same point in the presidency for quite some time. 
But one of the things that the left is noticing is that the ratings, the ratings for Trump's daily briefings are huge. And because they're so huge, this is what has the Democrats freaking out uh, regarding the 2020 election. Because remember, they're still hoping that they can get Biden, you know, in uh, the general election to beat Trump. But they see Trump's ratings going up. And then uh, the ratings for Trump's daily briefings are through the roof. In fact, uh, according uh, to the New York Times, you know, who had reluctantly admitted this on Wednesday, that the president's daily coronavirus updates are garnering an average audience of 8.5 million on cable news. You know, adding, you know, roughly uh, the viewership of a season finale of The Bachelor. I mean, think about this. People are tuning in to the president at the rate that they would tune in to the season finale of a TV show or a reality show like The Bachelor. Now, me, I'm looking at that and was like, there's that many people who watch The Bachelor? Really? You know, but I guess there's a lot of people who do. I'm assuming that it's women or something. You know, I'm not really quite sure what The Bachelor is. I just have a vague idea that it's one of those you know, uh, reality shows around dating and matchmaking or something, you know, so seeing how much people are tuning in, you know, uh, and seeing how popular these daily briefings are with the American people. And think about it. That's just the cable news rating, right? The cable news ratings that are aired on the television. When you start going through and taking a look at how many people are watching from all the different broadcasts, on Periscope and on YouTube, all right? When you take a look at those as well, the ratings for the for his daily briefings are through the roof. And this is why they're freaking out because, you know, everybody's tuning in in mass number and seeing Trump as the leader we all need in a time of crisis. And seeing that has every has everyone going, huh? You know, during peacetime and everything, yeah, he's kind of, you know, funny and, you know, a little bit of a troll. But in a serious situation, he is a damn good leader. And this is why, as mass numbers of people have been tuning in to these daily briefings, Trump's approval ratings, and not just, you know, the approval ratings for this particular situation, but his overall approval rating as president is skyrocketing right now. Well, skyrocketing for, you know, a, for a president in office, right? Because, you know, a president in office rarely ever, you know, gets over that 50% mark and is always, un, and has never, uh, as far as I know, been over 60%, at least not unless there was a time of war. And as I say that, I don't mean war against a virus or a pandemic. I mean, an actual physical combat war. Right. And so it's starting to get so much that the left is starting to, you know, say, hey, we need to stop airing these. Hey, we can't let people see that Trump is actually a great leader. Hey, you know, we need to, you know, cut this off and try so that we can get a better handle on the narrative here. And so now, because of that, um, NPR in uh, Seattle has decided they're not going to air the press conferences anymore. No, no, no. They're cutting it off. They don't want you to hear what President Trump is saying. So actually, that's kind of an interesting point here, you know, because we talk about the cable news rating. 
and we were talking about how many people are watching live streams on the internet and, or, you know, if they're busy during that time coming back and just watching it later, I never even thought to think about how many people are listening to the briefing on the radio, right? So, you know, it's much higher than anybody's thought. So, you know, NPR is now coming out saying, hey, hey, we're not going to air that anymore. We're in, a two, you know, we're doing this uh, based off a political decision. Because think about this, Seattle. Seattle's in the state of Washington. Washington is a completely left-wing state, just like California and New York. You know, and, you know, they've been able to, you know, control uh, quite a bit of what people see here throughout any of the available news and radio programs, you know, local radio and all of that. And now people are, you know, getting a taste of what Trump is really like for the first time. And now they're concerned, right? And this is why they're going off and they're no longer airing the press conference. They're concerned that if the people, you know, in Seattle hear and, you know, hear Trump, you know, and get a taste of what Trump is really like, then they could lose the state of Washington in the next election to President Trump. They're making decisions not based off of what's in the best interest of the public, but what's in the best interest of the 2020 election for the Democrats, right? And they can't handle the idea that people will start voting for President Trump uh, in November in these liberal areas. I mean, it was already a shock to them in 2016 when they lost Pennsylvania. When they lost Pennsylvania. Now, can you imagine a situation where if because of all of this and people are seeing Trump for the first time uh, unedited during these daily briefings, you know, what if they lose the state of Washington to Trump? What if they lose the state of Oregon to Trump? Heck, what if they lost the state of Illinois to Trump? What if they lost New York to Trump? Because people are seeing him unedited by the media for the first time and going, hey, you know, he may, you know, clown, clown around and joke around a little bit during great prosperity when there's not really anything serious going on. But in a time of emergency, whoa, he really steps up to the plate. You know, they cannot have that. You know, especially when you can do a side-by-side comparison to Joe Biden, who is, well, we'll get to Joe Biden in a little bit later on here because that guy is just, you wonder if he even knows where he's at, what what year it is. Right? Is he even connected with reality or is his mind already completely gone? You know, there's a reason why they've been limiting, uh, or limiting the length of his speeches and trying to, you know, really control how much time he spends in front of a camera in one period. Right? But the daily briefings, you know, being so popular and everything, the media just cannot help themselves, right? They see how popular the daily briefings are. They see just how much Trump's approval ratings are skyrocketing the more people can see them unedited during the daily briefings, right? So the media is deciding to get more and more outrageous, more and more outlandish, and more and more ridiculous, which I don't get it. the strategy here on this. Think about this. Okay, with all the available information, the ratings are through the roof. More people are tuning in to the presidential daily briefings than they are most anything else, 
you know, um, at this particular time, at least in the news, you know, and, you know, we're hitting day after day, hitting the numbers that have a season finale of a show like The Bachelor, right? And you're going through and you're going to act like complete clowns in the media and you're going to let people finally see a comparison between what Trump is actually saying and how it is you're actually reporting it? Or how about this? How you're asking such ridiculous nonsense questions. You know, it, it is so bad that even Dr. Uh, Fauci or Fousey or however you pronounce it lost it with the media the other day, right? Even he's, even he is getting to the point where he just cannot stand the media. He's like, seriously, people? You know, so, you know, which also led to kind of a funny moment uh, with the Trump administration. So uh, Dr. Anthony Fusi uh, had come out and he was being asked questions related to politics and the political environment of China and all of that. And he, he's just like losing it going, people, I'm a doctor, not a politician. You know, I, I, I have nothing to comment on the political environment. I have nothing you know, to comment about, you know, foreign affairs. I'm just a doctor. I, I, I'm, I can, I can tell you about COVID-19, you know, the threat, the seriousness, the progress that we're making on that. But, you know, but they kept on trying to hammer him with political questions and asking him about the political considerations of everything. And it, it, it was just kind of, you know, one of those, you know, Things where it's like, people, media, are you really this bad? And if you are, do you really want to show that you're this bad in front of this many people tuning in? But the funny part happened is after the media was asking such insane questions, right? Such insane questions. And, you know, Dr. Fushi had lost his temper. Well, when we say lost his temper, he was still more composed than the media while he was losing his temper, but he kind of, but he did lash out at the media. Anyways, as Dr. Fusi was walking away uh, from the podium, Trump, Trump actually, you know, steps up and says into the microphone to Dr. Fusi, welcome to the team. See what I have to deal with all the time. <laughs> you know, it was, it was really quite a, a funny scenario or not scenario, but situation there, you know, seeing, you know, that being hammered by the media with a bunch of ridiculous nonsense, you know, questions and, you know, is how you get initiated into the Trump administration, you know, but then the media, I mean, this is how outlandish the media has gotten, right? They asked one of those, when did you stop beating your wife questions, right? Where the, you know, question is actually the accusation. Right. Where they go off and they ask the question of, you know, why did you, when did you stop beating your wife? And you're like, huh? What are you talking about? I never beat my wife. I I never beat my wife. And then they write the headline, you know, um, so and so denies beating their wife. And then it's meant to lead you all to think, well, why was anybody thinking that they beat his wife? I mean, what's the evidence that he beat his wife? Oh, hey, you know, is he beating his wife? You know, it's designed, you know, where you have the question become the accusation and then the response, you know, of, well, I never, I never did to begin with. 
you know, being a denial to the accusation, but, you know, and then saying that the denial to the accusation means that there is somewhere an accusation. And people start wondering where the accusation is coming from. How did it get out? And they want to go through, and all of a sudden they start thinking that maybe there's something to the whole you beat your wife, you know, question. Well, they pulled one of those at the presidential briefing over the coronavirus, where one of the reporters asked him, you know, uh, how many deaths are acceptable to him, right? How many deaths? And Trump was taken aback by this. I mean, he's seen how disgusting the media is, and he has seen, you know, how twisted and tormented the media can, you know, spin things. But he was even taken aback by this, you know, you know, going through and going, wait, wait, how many deaths are acceptable to me? You know, he he actually repeated the question just to make sure that he heard the question right, right? And then he responds, none, if that's your question. You know, what kind of question is that? What kind of question is it from the media to go to the president of the United States and go, you know, um, how many deaths are acceptable to you? If you open this up and then, you know, by, you know, April 15th or, you know, sooner, how many deaths are acceptable to you? Of course, the, of course, the, the none would be the answer. You know, of course, there's no such thing as acceptable deaths, right? Now, in wartime, you have to understand that sometimes, you know, the actions that you take are going to lead to death. You, you know, you try to hope for the best possible outcome, but, the alternative is between lose a few or lose everybody that, you know, it's not exactly the same as saying it's acceptable. It's just a matter of mitigating the losses. But in this situation, how many deaths are acceptable? Have you seen the actions president Trump has taken the unprecedented action of shutting down pretty much the entire economy, closing up the borders? You know, he knows that this is going to lead you know, to, you know, hardships and struggles, you know, when it would have been easier to say, hey, we got a booming economy, we got, you know, um, record low unemployment, sure, a virus came in and some people died, but, you know, know, it just wasn't as serious as it was and he could have downplayed it and all of that. No, he took the action, this extraordinary action because, you know, he doesn't find death acceptable. And he believes that we, you know, have the greatest economy, the greatest, you know, system in the world that we can come back from this financially, economically, you know, and that lives were more important than the profits. So what type of question is how many deaths are acceptable to you? I mean, that is just, that is just beyond the pale. And it even gets worse than just the media. Now, there are some Democrats that have stepped up to the plate, been putting politics aside, and going off and putting the interest of the country above politics. But there are other Democrats out there that are putting you know, politics above everything else. And previously, I had stated that where the Democrats lie on that scale between prioritizing safety versus prioritizing politics is dependent on the level of accountability for that politician. You know, whereas in the House and the Senate, you know, there is very little accountability for individual elected members, right? They can always pass the buck off to the rest of the group. 
you know, but once you got down to more accountable situations, such as, you know, uh, governors, mayors, and, you know, local officials, that, you know, you get more accountability, more decorum. Well, I may have to revise that and go, well, in some areas, yes, some areas, no. You know, so I was watching, you know, uh, on a, for a local political level, you know, where, you know, there was a city council meeting. And, you know, the Democrats were, some Democrats were getting upset at other Democrats because of the situation. At least I have, I believe they were Democrats. I have to try and figure out, you know, what the, you know, makeup is of the city council there. You know, but in any event, what had gone on is, you know, the person, you know, the council member that, you know, leads the meeting, you know, um, you know had gone through and had changed rules before the beginning of the meeting, and then didn't even abide by those own rules. I mean, you had one council member upset that even after, even after, you know, the companies were told they can't shut off utilities during this time. They can't, you know, do evictions during this time because, you know, people are financially struggling having been prevented from being able to go to work. You know, and yet there were some utility companies uh, that had gone off and still, you know, shut off, you know, some utilities and, you know, all of that of certain uh, residents. And, you know, so they were brought before the city council and some city councilmen are, in this case, a woman, was more interested in protecting the representative of the utility company than they were about the citizens affected. Why? Because, uh, well, maybe this, you know, you know, local utility company is a good campaign uh, donor, right? Good supporter. So she's more concerned about re-election and the guy, you know, and the guy uh, who was standing up. I mean, this was, you know, a white woman versus a black man, you know, in this argument. So, you know, it, it is, you know, let you know what the makeup is. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, um, you know, the guy was, you know, going off and, you know, understandably outraged, that utilities were being shut off after it was ordered that they shouldn't have been shut off. And then going off and saying that there was a delay in getting the information and distributing the order and, you know, going through and then upset that, you know, the chair of the city council meeting was changing the rules, making up the rules, and people were violating the rules, you know, trying to call, um, you know, uh, you know, trying to call, I forget what the procedure is. It's like, uh, Robert's rules of, uh, of civil procedure. You know, there's a whole rule book on how to conduct government meetings, you know, and I remember this rule book, you know, somewhat from my days back in college on student government, you know, and so, you know, it went by Robert's rules and someone tried to improperly, you know, call the question on the motion, which is to say, Hey, let's close debate and vote. And it was pointed out, Hey, you don't have the ability to do that yet. You know, there's still speaking time, you know, available here and I'm going to use up my speaking time. Well, then the chair decided that she was going to step in and, you know, all of that. And, um, how it ended up was the chair decided, you know, that she's calling a recess, which the guy pointed out, that's also not within the rules. You don't have that authority to just declare recess. It has to be a vote, you know, and the chair just gets up and walks out, right? At which point, he should have just gone through and gone, okay, well, 
Now that all the people trying to protect the utility company from their wrong actions have left, let's take a vote, right? Hey, yes, you know, this is what you should have done. But, you know, it's not just in those situations where city councils are breaking down, unable to get their crap together. I know that was kind of a little bit of a tangent, but I wanted to give you, you know, some information on what was going on. You know, they couldn't get their crap together. Well, Nevada's governor comes out, you know, and I guess he's suffering from, you know, the highest level of Trump derangement syndrome. Because after, you know, Trump, you know, had come out and talked about how uh, the drugs used, you know, to treat malaria, you know, and is also used, you know, for arthritis. And, you know, I, I just cannot pronounce the name of it for the life of me. Give these drugs simple names. Can you just do that? Give them simple names. But in any event, after Trump had come out and, you know, talked about how these drugs were beneficial, how they saved lives, you know, that the initial studies were great and promising, what does the governor of Nevada does? He comes out and almost immediately bans the use of these drugs for coronavirus patients. Yes, and he tries to say that he's doing it for public safety, that Trump is wrong and Trump's, you know, uh, off-label use of these drugs to treat coronavirus would be dangerous. And yet, you know, Trump's, you know, information that he's relaying is coming from scientists and doctors. And it's interesting because the left is always like, listen to the scientists, listen to the doctors. Trump listens to the doctors, lets everyone know what the doctors are telling him, And all of a sudden, we must ignore all the doctors. We must ignore all the scientists. You know, Trump's, you know, Trump said, you know, uh, repeated what they, what the scientists had found. So therefore, it is bad now. And now because of that, he is going off and banning the use of malaria drugs. So he's putting the lives of the citizens of Nevada in danger. He is withholding life-saving medication from the patients in Nevada just because he doesn't like Trump, right? Just because he doesn't like Trump. And he even went further to say that those who are, you know, getting legitimate prescriptions for this medication, you know, for illnesses that they were using it for before the breakout of the COVID-19, he is now putting a limit on the supply that you can get. You cannot get more than a 30-day supply at a time. That way you can't hoard it, stockpile it, and of course, so you don't resell it, you know, to people who actually need it. So he's going through there. He's limiting the uh, medication being available to those who were using it before the outbreak. And he's withholding life-saving medication from the citizens of his state just because Trump talked about how the scientists told him that this was effective medication that treats COVID-19 and patients who have used this drug and the studies that have gone on, there has been multiple studies now over the course of a seven-day period that have resulted in 100% recovery and 0% death. But the governor doesn't care because your life is not as important as the left's political need for power. and. They cannot allow Trump to get any credit for leadership in this situation. So they must ban it and demand that you think that these medications are actually dangerous. 
And of course, you know, you got the people who took fish tank cleaner because it had a substance with a similar name. It wasn't even the same substance. And by the way, the fish tank cleaner had other substances in it as well. You know, and it was marked not safe for human consumption. So anyways, you know, they're going out there and spiting, you know, killing, letting people die in order to spite Trump because orange man bad. Oh, boy. Now, another situation here, as uh, the situation starts devolving, and this is why people are going, okay, we got everything that we need to handle this situation, you know, is because even those who are at levels of government on the left that are more accountable are starting to act more and more irresponsible and political again. You know, so... You know, um, the Trump administration in their, you know, briefing had come out and it wasn't even Trump who said it. It was a member of his coronavirus task force, you know, who had gone out there and stated that, you know, or stated ignore the task force guidance. So coronavirus task force member, Dr. Dr. Deborah Burks, you know, B-I-R-X, on Tuesday, urged anyone who had been to New York City recently to self-quarantine. Why? Because New York City has become the epicenter now. They have more cases than any other state. You know, more than any other state. They are fighting it. I mean, the state of Washington has kind of started leveling off. And, you know, there are other states, you know, that are still low, but they're still going up. But right now, New York is the epicenter. You know, within the United States, and the United States has more cases than any other country in the world at this particular point. Anyways, uh, the doctor had come out and stated that on Tuesday, urged anyone who had been to New York City recently to swell, to self-quarantine as there was a significant chance they contracted the virus, right? Which makes sense because of all the outbreaks that we have seen in New York that, hey, this thing has spread pretty far and wide in New York. A lot of people travel in and out of New York, you know, to say, you know, Virginia, you know, all the Virginia people, you know, um, you know, um, there are other states and areas and plus people who just travel just to travel. You know, they just went to New York to do some sightseeing and then went back uh, to their home states, you know, and everything. Well, considering the outbreak that we have seen in New York, it is a very high likelihood that if you had been to New York, you could have been infected with the coronavirus, and therefore you should engage in self-quarantining action. What's the problem? The new the health commissioner of New York contradicts that, going, no, 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 there is no need to follow the guidance of the doctors on the task force, you know, leading the response to the coronavirus and updating information on the coronavirus. No, no, no. Dr. Howard Zucker, the New York commissioner, said that that part of the White House guidance wasn't necessary. You know, now, so you see how they are now going off and trying to go, well, here's what Trump is saying. Instead of ripping off what Trump is saying and trying to pass it off as our own because all these people are watching, you know, Trump's daily briefings, we're now going to go off and say the opposite. No, no, no. You don't have to follow that. No, no, no. You can ignore that. No, no, no. You know, it, it is not that serious or whatever. You know, 
You know, so now we start seeing de- Democrats going out there saying, ignore the health advice, ignore the, you know, uh, starting to ignore the social distancing and self-quarantining if you've been into an area that has had an outbreak. And yet the Democrats and uh, liberals in the media are asking Trump how many deaths are acceptable. Jeeper. Now let's get on uh, to some of the lighter side of the news. Some of the... Uh, well, funny and some of the backtracking. So, uh, first off, uh, Pennsylvania governor backtracks on gun store shutdowns after pressure from Second Amendment advocates. So, here it was, um, the gun stores were being shut down at the same time that they were publicly announcing that they were no longer going to provide, you know, uh, police protection during this time for various crimes like break-ins. Yeah. And no, and so they shut off the gun, they shut down the gun stores, and they were also talking about releasing criminals from the jail cells. Well, now after a lot of uh, pressure that has gone on, going, hey, you know, if you're not going to apply, uh, provide police protection, you need to keep the gun stores open so people can get their own protection. Or hey, this is unconstitutional. Martial law has not been declared. Therefore, you cannot deprive people of their Second Amendment right. Or, hey, you have to choose. Either provide police protection or provide people the ability to get self-protection. Well, after going through and everything, he's finally allowing the gun stores uh, to reopen. Right? So that is a win uh, for the Second Amendment. Now, I, lo- I love this headline uh, from Red State. The Moron Olympics. Yes! The moron Olympics. So a lot of people have been doing a lot of stupid things during this whole coronavirus outbreak, right? We've seen, you know, uh, people on TikTok doing the coronavirus challenge where they go in to a public restroom and lick the toilet seat. Surprisingly, that's not what won the moron Olympics. There are people who are dumber than that, right? There are people who have actually done things dumber than that. And so the moron Olympics. So there was this guy who was going through Walmart and he took video of himself doing this and posted it online. You know, so it was very easy to see what he had done. You know, so he had gone through and he was going through Walmart and he was licking items in the Walmart during the coronavirus outbreak. Let's see here. What was it? He was licking deodorant. Okay. Now, first of all, there's a couple of stupid things here. We're in the middle of a pandemic and you're going into the store and you're licking items. That's dumb number one. Dumb number two, you're licking deodorant. I mean, if you were going to lick something, maybe you lick something other than uh, the deodorant. But, okay. But, you know, I I, I should probably watch uh, the video a little more closely make sure that he wasn't opening it and licking the stick itself versus licking the outside. But in any event, you know, he had gone through the stores uh, licking items uh, such as deodorant and stuff. And, oh, actually, here's the video. Okay, so taking a few moments here to pause this in order to watch the video. All right, he wasn't taking the caps off and licking the stick, thank God. So maybe he isn't the dumbest of the dumb. But... He was taking his tongue and licking it across the whole board of uh, deodorants on the outside during the middle of a pandemic, you know, and all this. So after he posted the video online, what happened is uh, it went viral enough that the cops saw it, right? The cops saw this. 
and the winner of the Moron Olympics, the guy who was licking the uh, deodorant sticks, is now charged with terrorist crimes. Yes! Yes, he apparently, uh, going through uh, on all of this, it's considered terrorism to, uh, in the middle of a pandemic, to start licking a whole bunch of items in public display. You know, uh, biological or bio-terrorism. Uh, you know, so it goes on uh, to read here. A local resident who took a video of themselves licking the merchandise after making a coronavirus statement at Walmart and posting it to social media has been taken into custody and charge, uh, charges will be pending through the Warren County uh, Prosecuting Attorney's Office. This particular video, which won't be shared here, has gained uh, some international attention, and we have received numerous reports about the video from locals nearby residents, uh, as well as people from the Netherlands, right? um, Ireland, and the United Kingdom. Uh, we have uh, these complaints. Or we take these complaints very seriously and would like to thank all of those who reported the videos. And so, yes, uh, as it goes through this moron, you know, it, it, it is being charged with terrorism for it. So, I mean, that's, that's a special kind of stupid, right? That, that is one of those, what the hell were you thinking? Okay. So, uh, getting along here, uh, I just wanted to point out here. Uh, from yesterday's when I was talking about the, you know, the Democrat stupid plan to, uh, mint two one trillion dollar commemorative coins as a way to say, Hey, we're not adding debt because we're going to print off the money to buy these coins from ourselves and all of that. I mean, if that was something that could really be done, you know, if that was serious, why not print off, you know, two $15 trillion coins? And therefore we now have the assets to pay off a hundred percent of the national debt with trillions of dollars to spare. I mean, just think about that and you'll understand just how dumb the idea that we can just mint some commemorative coins, buy them from ourselves, and all of a sudden that maintains the value of the dollar. You know, and if that was true, you know, every country would do that. And heck, why not give everybody $100,000 for an emergency fund? We'll just pay for it with these commemorative coins. Jeepers. But anyways, uh, there is some news here going on uh, with Biden. Here, so uh, there is a Me Too group uh, associated with Biden, and they refuse to highlight or address the allegations against Biden from people in the Me Too movement, people who have talked about uh, being sexually harassed. And we've seen videos of Biden touching girls and sniffing their hair and so on and whatnot. And, you know, it's all over video. You know, if there is any offender of the Me Too movement, it is Joe Biden. But a prominent Me Too advocacy group with ties to uh, a top uh, Joe Biden advisory or advisor uh, refused to publicize sexual harassment allegations against the former vice president earlier this year. So, yay, you know, we were told to believe all women. We're told the Me Too movement is serious. And then the Me Too movement hits the front runner of the Democrat party. And it's like, no, 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 we need to sweep this all under the rug. You know, we can't afford this. You know, what's, you know, what's, you know, more important, you know, um, you know, protecting women from sexual harassment or getting Trump out of office, you know, oh boy, decisions, decisions. 
I know. We're going to put politics over women's safety, right? We're going to say that the Me Too movement no longer applies to any prominent Democrat. Any prominent Democrat gets a complete pass on the Me Too movement. It's only to be used as a weapon against Republicans. You know, the problem is there isn't that many Republicans in which you can accuse of being in violation of the Me Too movement. And so, which is why they have to pretty much resort to a bunch of false allegations against Republicans that get debunked rather quickly as, you know, with absolutely zero evidence whatsoever. Now, there are other issues that are going on. I mean, it is great that Joe Biden is back in the news here because it does allow us to see just how bad Joe Biden is. And I mean, he's making some incomprehensible statements here. So Joe Biden is being fact-checked by liberal news outlets on, during the live streams now going, uh, wait a minute. So uh, Joe Biden wanted to talk about uh, Trump's approval ratings and claiming that Trump's approval ratings were going down, that they are lower, and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, you know this is going to be a campaign clip that Trump is going to take this video and he is going to run it viral, right, Uh, once we get past the crisis, you know, especially if Joe Biden is the front runner. Because uh, when it was corrected that, no, President Trump's approval ratings are not going down. In fact, President Trump's approval ratings have gone up. Joe Biden says in a direct quote, you know, Wednesday, Oh, I I, uh, hope President Trump's approval ratings continue to increase after experiencing uh, humiliating life. Okay, let me get to the actual, you know, uh, quote here. Uh, Let's see here. The president's number with the public uh, have gone up in handling this crisis, but they haven't gone up in terms of his presidency, Biden said. Right? Then it comes out, uh, well, several recent polls have shown Trump's numbers have increased. CBS uh, News uh, YouGov found Trump's uh, recent uh, received the approval of 53% of Americans, while Trump was at 49% in the Gallup survey. After an awkward silence, you know, showing that his overall approval rating has gone up, after an awkward silence, uh, the reporter corrected the false claim. Uh, Gallup did show he is now at 49% job uh, approval, which is a reversal from a few weeks ago, she said. It does suggest that the American people see him as a stronger leader than you've been characterizing him. Biden responds, well, I hope, and I quote, well, I hope that he is so strong and that he's up way above that, right? Think about that. Biden is now saying, well, I hope his approval ratings are strong. I hope they do continue to go up. And so it seems like the way he worded it and everything, one, uh, not only does that segment show that Biden is out of touch and doesn't really know what's going on and getting bad information, but then when he's given a fact check uh, on it, he gives a statement that seems like it's an endorsement or an approval of Trump as president. That clip is going to be played in the general election over and over and over again. 
Okay. So Joe Biden, the gaff machine never disappoints. Now there is another thing here. Joe Biden, put Joe Biden back in the news. We need non-coronavirus related stuff uh, to be able to talk about here. You know, um, Biden is coming out now and saying that there will be opportunities in next round to use Green Deal to boost the economy. So now, even though everybody has pointed out that the Green New Deal would crush the economy, even during a time of economic prosperity, that it is a horrible, massive, you know, uh, money-sucking program, you know, and money-sucking, you know, uh, ideas that would just that would just collapse the economy, and it is based off of their whole climate change religion, to which they are unable to provide you know, actual, you know, details to prove man-made climate change versus natural climate change and the severity of it. But Joe Biden is now saying that, oh, don't worry, we may not have gotten elements of the Green New Deal in this round, but in the next round, the next time we do a stimulus, if us Democrats are in control of everything, it will be flooded down with the Green New Deal. I got kids jumping around upstairs. I tell you that, you know, I, I know that is bleeding through uh, here on the microphone. And I got to tell you, I'm about ready to say screw the COVID-19 and get their ass back to school. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I am starting to wonder how my wife handles being home all day, every day during the summertime while I'm at work. I've never spent this much time home alone with the kid. And, you know, for the most part, it's great. From an efficiency standpoint, it is really crushing my productivity. But in any event, he's going out there and telling everybody that, you know, if he gets elected and we get into a serious crisis and they can have enough numbers in the House and the Senate, that it's going to be a Green New Deal to boost the economy. You know, which is Joe Biden letting everybody know that under his administration, the United States would suffer complete and total economic collapse. All right, uh, that's it uh, for this particular episode. I'd like to thank you so much. Don't forget to subscribe, leave me a rating and a review so other people uh, can be able to find this show as well. Also, don't forget to check out the YouTube channel. You know, um, it's the Jacob Johnston Show. Uh, you can, you know, just quickly search for it. I believe it's still under the old URL you know, from back when I was calling it the millennials view. So like youtube.com slash the millennials view, you know, even though it turns out I'm not even a millennial, I'm a zennial, you know, a generation before generation, uh, after the generation that comes after generation X, but before millennials, you know, um, apparently there's enough of a difference in our behaviors that they reclassified us where I used to be classified as a millennial, but now I'm classified as a zennial. So, the URL, I, I just need to find a way to go ahead and disassociate that URL uh, with the YouTube. But there you go. That's where you can find it out. In the YouTube channel, I just do smaller segments where I just break down one or two articles uh, to talk about and its implications, as well as giving you some food for thought. Okay, so don't forget to check out the YouTube channel. And uh, don't forget to subscribe and listen to other episodes uh, of the podcast. And I will be back again soon.